0: This episode of Experience by Design is brought to you by the Experience Research Society, also known as Espresso. Espresso is a global community of academics and practitioners that seeks to foster cross-disciplinary collaboration around experiences to create scientific and societal impact. Espresso means to make experience research relevant to experience-centric businesses and industries. Who doesn't need a little more Expresso in their lives? Check out espresso at experienceresearchsociety dot org.
1: One, two, three.
2: Hi, I'm Gary David. And I'm Adam Gamwell. Welcome to Experience by Design, the podcast where we explore experience designs of all kinds.
0: Designing for an international audience can provide, shall we say, certain challenges to the experienced designer. If we're going to try to design with the cultural norms and expectations of our target audience in mind, we can ask the question, how do we handle that goal when the number of cultures we are catering to seems to always increase? This is a major challenge when living in a multicultural society where we have people from many different backgrounds, all living together. But at the same time, at least in that situation, we might hopefully have a national culture that we can orient to. But what about living in an international city where people from all over the world are constantly arriving and departing and each are bringing with them their own sense of what is a moment that matters or what constitutes a wow and transformative experience. And of course, as ethnographers, we know that what we consider to be national culture is only part of that equation. When thinking of culture, we can also think of things like wealth cultures or religious cultures or age demographic cultures, gender cultures, recreation and hobby cultures, and the list goes on and on. In the face of such complexity, the impulse can either be to turn and run, or to oversimplify to the point that all of these groups are reduced to a least common cultural denominator, which really at the end of the day serves no one in particular.
2: And so today on Experience by Design, we are happy to welcome Kieran Varu, who's going to help us not get too simplified and also not get too muddied in the water, as it were. Now, Kieran is a current CX consultant, he's formerly of ITC, the international luxury hotel chain. And Kieran has had his own international journey. Growing up in India, he then went to university in Dallas, Texas, and if that was not enough of a culture shock, let's be real here, uh, he then found himself working in Dubai. So he's embodying and living this this kind of multicultural society that we are talking about. And in the midst of all these travels, he's gotten to know a bit about working across cultures, right? How do we leverage the challenges that we find in these uh, spaces of the, uh, fragmentation to create vital opportunities? So in our conversation, we're discussing how multicultural work groups are the key to designing international experiences. We'll be exploring this, I think, beautiful concept of intercultural frolicking and how this is vital to unlocking experience designs that resonate with audiences across cultural groups and can be help, help unify. We also will talk about how building a common and shared culture from the idea like the US motto of E pluribus Unum, or one out of many, or better said, out of many, one. Either way works. Either way it works, right? The idea here is by allowing people to showcase their talents, they can find new ideas through their shared creativity. And out of this, we raise a larger question of how do we foster cultures of more openness and acceptance and not lose our focus on the importance of being human? It's a super awesome conversation, uh, and Kieran is a, a very spirited guest that we're really excited to bring with you today. So let's dive on in.
0: I didn't expect growing up as a PhD student to have to deal with audio and visual uh, production, uh-huh. but nevertheless, so, here we are. And it seems like it's almost something that becomes, especially if you're doing consultancy work, it's not just providing a service, but it's providing content to whoever might be interested in hearing it.
1: Yeah, I think and that's that makes remaining a student through a lifetime important, irrespective of you are a PhD or not as you well. Know.
0: Oh, I wonder Uh about that. Should I be a student or should I just hire somebody? (laughs) You know, Uh, it seems like there's better people at this. (laughs) There's probably better people who are like, you know, did this for like their education and training who know what they're doing versus me looking at YouTube videos and going, you know, what's compression mean? What, what, how do I do this?
1: So I have seen, I think the studio can be quite complex for the ones who master it. Mm -hmm.
2: And so how did you, you end give up some hope if I ever changed careers, but yeah, you know, for now right. we'll stay, we'll stay in experience design.
0: <laughs> what made, what made you want to like, you know, cause I know you've been doing a lot of work and we'll get into your past work, but the work you've been doing most recently with content creation, with putting out content on LinkedIn or YouTube or whatever channels are existing now or coming up, what prompted you to feel like I got to create some content for a broader audience?
1: That's an interesting question. Uh, In fact, uh, I think I caught up, I got uh, deeper into LinkedIn for the last two years. And when I noticed that uh, I started following the personalities and who were sharing a lot of quality content. And it struck me that I too uh, am in this journey as a student. I may not be perfect, but I did have some of those thoughts which I could reflect as well as or share as. I took pride in using that iShare like iPhone and then sharing Mm. quality or you can say curated content because else the world has so much of information. But when if you can make it easier to a larger audience to follow you, not because I want them to follow me, but there is one source from where they can get uh, good quality information in that field. I'll take example of AI. The moment ChatGPT became the darling of and the talk of the town, One evening, it struck me uh, three weeks ago, how about having an AI update? Because one thing I realized is often we miss the bus. I have missed many buses, revenue management and so on. And it struck me that I have two choices. Ignore ChatGPT world or see ChatGPT can be a medium to further my cause. Then I instantly sat that evening at home, created a logo called the AI update and uh, release it the next day saying, hereafter, every week on a Wednesday, I will share an update on AI. And experience, last week when the post went in with a Coke-related tie-up, I mm. saw the numbers were clocking at four times the usual rate, mm. which my posts mm. generally tend to get audience, though I spent CX in the CX space for almost a year. Whereas this was getting all the eyeballs then I realized that means there is so much of demand, or in terms of seekers of information in that space. So the second week, that was yesterday, the post went out. I was just consciously watching how it overtook my CX uh, interaction with Vaishali video. In note of I knew that by night, midnight, this will be ahead, and it right. was the case morning. And I'm happy that uh, that I'm able to add value and learn, just like the CX videos. When I'm curating, picking that information, this article was on CX for user research. What a beautiful article, I think, by CX Academy or some channel. And I shared it And uh, along with two other, not so great. I think journalists will be let go because they're going to take German. Newspaper is going to take Chat GPT's help. And that made me realize that you know, how much I can learn in this process of giving a commitment to share curated content in the area of my choice till now it was only cx hereafter definitely ChatGPT gpt got on board and i'm keen got delayed to set up chat gpt on my laptop and start working on it to see what does it where does this lead else i would not be experiencing uh, it at a pace in which it is progressing in the world
0: it's definitely true that uh, you know when you have to teach something back out you learn it differently than if you're just doing it. And, you know, one of the things as a professor that, you know, I often talk about and people often talk about is if you want to learn a topic, teach it because you you really have to understand something or at least understand it differently in order to send it back out to others. And so, you know, for, for me, at least content creation, whether in the classroom or online is a way of forcing me to learn about things in a deeper way than I might otherwise have engaged uh, with them.
1: True. On the same note, the last week onwards, I started never got deeper into the CX. I am in touch with Mr. John. He's also from US. John Gussie Fighting, and uh, I realized if I want to learn deeper, I need to spend. Some extra time. So I said, okay, every week, one thing. Last week was customer journey mapping. This week is jobs Mm -hmm. to be done. I was not much aware about jobs to be done. John shared in one context about jobs to be done when I was talking about personas. Then instantly this week by Thursday today, I have learned so much about jobs to be
2: done. Do do you find that in terms of picking up a new skill like that, Is it something that you feel that you could then apply right away? Like, I'm curious about thinking about, you know, to to actually both of your points when we're, I think it's really important that we, we find ways to set aside time to learn like a new skill, a new, a new what's happening in the world of AI, for example. Um, and like a weekly cadence is a nice way to do that. Um, and so, do you find do you have a goal in terms of um, with the AI? That's a, it's a good example, uh, and I want to talk about what you saw with with user research too. But like the 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 bigger question of like picking up a new topic per week or watching what's happening in the field of AI or which jobs to be done uh, is is the goal to then implement that into your CX work or your other kind of experience design work? And and like how do you, how do we think about that? Like we're going to see some jobs now popping up or jobs to be done as as a new framework to think with.
1: Absolutely. Because when I was uh, when I call myself as a customer experience expert on my resume, I definitely have a responsibility to be quite good at it. Though I'm not at from an execution, haven't done a lot of work, I'm cognizant of that and I want to make sure that this learning and I collect all that information in my one presentation. So I have it as a ready reference mm-hmm. and tomorrow apply it in my area of work or even to freelance work, even if it's for free so then the because yeah. learning is one application is another and the learning that mm. happens during the application is phenomenal so i'm looking forward yeah. to that phase in each of these topics and stitch them together because my question to john was being vulnerable john i heard a lot about personas and segmentation was the question mm. and then i said wait does this uh, you know how do i what is the relationship between segmentation and personas is when he said why don't you go through jobs to be done Then I said, uh, this week, what should be the topic? What should be the topic? Then I thought, let me put this one because Mm -hmm. I'm quite low on familiarity with jobs to be done. Initially, it looked like not a great thing. But now that I spent four days, every day, approximately an hour, I Mm -hmm. see a lot of sense, but I'm still connecting the dots. Where does persona come? Where does jobs to be done come? So there's one video Mm -hmm. also, which is how they both are complementary and not... Conflicting or a replacement to each other, and I mm. think as you mentioned uh, that cadence will help in brain. I read a lot, but probably not applied a lot. The more you try to learn a new skill, I think it's good work on the brain to push it to pick uh, pick up new things. Uh, else, very it's very easy to let go of something. Basis the initial resistance, I think that's called resistance mm. to your Getting
2: out of yeah. composition. Well, it's also like that. that the challenge of, of inertia too. I, fi- I find the same kind of thing where it's it's how do I intentionally place place some time, you know, whether it's week. Um, and I, th- I think a week is a good cadence too. But like how do you, how do you build that time into to have active learning, right? And it's so important, I think, because I, I've actually noticed this gap. I was, I was looking around on LinkedIn too, in that I will will tend to see. Folks in the C-suite or higher up executives, you know, share a LinkedIn post about here's 13 books that I read, you know, here's the 31,000 words and here's the 10 books that really changed my world this year. And then I want they to read what those you. books, what? Yeah. <laughs> so you story, story blocked them or did like blink us, you know, but, but, anyway, you know, like, but, but there's this idea that, that I, I learned these new things and that, um, there's an interesting, I think thing I find in terms of, you know, whether it's kind of employee or, or even, even like employee experience or kind of. Uh, the idea of of uh, like company culture that we look for thought leadership in that way from from leaders, you know, in organizations, but we don't either expect or provide time for our our employees to also do that, right? Are you spending time learning as an employee, um, you know, whether you're just a, uh, you know, either if you're a temp or kind of in a, in a first level or where you are in the company? And this is something that was interesting that, that struck me in terms of um, the hierarchical nature of how we think about organizations affects where we reward learning um, from our employees. And I think that that's something that this is actually something I just saw yesterday that that I'm connecting the dots now that we're talking um, that I've been thinking about. And it's like also as we think about the importance of learning and and we can talk about it, like how can we also help build that into company cultures, right, so that we do give our, our employees time to learn and celebrate their learning, saying, you know, you're not you're not wasting an hour, quote unquote. And you're learning about a new skill. You're learning about like, let me deepen my knowledge of jobs to be done on the clock, not after work, right? Uh, you know, that's an interesting question that uh, asked was. I don't know if y'all have any thoughts about that. Um it's something that that we got we should expand, I think.
1: It's fantastic you to point it out. While the leaders do it, in fact, the more benefits lie at an associate level. Right.
0: The same I learned
1: in coaching also. They say we think coaching is only for the C suite no the coaching can be transformation for the organization if everyone at the from associate level starts benefiting from coaching same goes i heard about mm-hmm. google that they give 10% of the time to do something that you're passionate about if that's true that's fantastic and i hear some of their products came from there so it's investing in your employees and as you mentioned i'm imagining let's say i'm an organization of just 200 employees and each of my employees spent 30 minutes a day reading a new book. I'm just saying reading a new book. And they come to share their nuggets of wisdom on a 30 minutes, not even in person, let's say on Zoom. And the entire mm. company benefits from it by debating, discussing, and there could be a forum where QA can happen. Imagine what can happen when this happens. I mm. was
0: um talking, I was having this very conversation with uh, folks at my school. Because we're relaunching or redoing our exec ed. And I said, the first thing we should do is change the name from exec ed to your point, Adam, because executive education means it's for executives. And to your point Kieran, it's not for everybody, it's not for associates. And so rethinking the very nature of that, not as a, um, as, as part of employee experience, which is then going to be the customers will benefit if you create an environment in which there is a line between employee development employee experience and customer experience and a lot of organizations just don't uh you yeah. know it's we we you know we we degrade certain work as not knowledge work and as a result don't think it's important mm-hmm. to provide opportunities for knowledge enrichment where we imagine that the people who might be most detached from work much might be the C level they're the ones who need the most Uh, professional development and it feels like a little backwards in that relationship.
1: Yeah. I would would like to add just one point here. I was trying to do little homework. Then I caught this employees who have a positive employee experience. It seems have 16 times the engagement level as Mm -hmm. the employees who had a negative experience. So that's the, that's the depth. That's the max possibility, which tells in itself, that how much more contributing a happy employee can be for an organization's growth. And that said also, as you mentioned, knowledge, uh, Gary, apart from knowledge, they're human beings. If they Mm -hmm. are a better human being and they are a human being at peace and at its best performance, you can say best state, I think that itself also sets stone for a greater delivering member team, organization.
0: Well, on that point, I know you're in Dubai uh, and you've been working in, you know, the hotel industry, hospitality industry. In an environment like Dubai, it doesn't have to be Dubai, where so many workers, if not all the workers, are coming from someplace else. So they're moving from one place into another place in order to work. And how, and to what extent do the employers consider that and how might that impact the customer experience that's being provided versus if I'm working at my job, I'm coming home. I'm coming to an environment of relative comfort. Versus, if I am a migrant worker, what are people coming home to? What is their experience outside of the workplace? How might that impact their work with customers in the business? And I, th- you know, that that's a whole other layer of complexity when so many of the workers are yeah. migrant workers and/or expatriate workers who are in a place that's not of their. Of their homeland, not of their, you know, comfort and familiarity. You know what I mean. And you yourself being one of those people who is from India working in another land, it seems like it creates challenges that are unique to those kinds of environments.
1: Yeah. Now I'll give you a couple of examples that I noticed here. Uh, there are organizations I pay close attention to facility management space. There are two organizations called EFS as well as Emerald, quite large by their size here, and I see they have a. Annuals day for this company called EFS, and it's fun and frolic. All of them in one physical venue. It would be a resort kind of a place. They would have already completed a series of dance, sports competitions, prizes. And I think one person will go to their home country who win that. I think someone who won a lottery or something among those can bring their family on that day. Oh, wow. I can sense a similar brand is called Emeril. We also, does a, I see a lot of activity on employee engagement. And we're talking about mingling between employees of from different nationalities, including the CEO. They are meeting them over cafeteria lunch, listening to them, which is fabulous. And as we are speaking about how Dubai engages, what caught my attention was Though most of these employees live in areas called camps or communities like the places that are identified for them mostly, they during the periods like Ramadan and other festivals, I see always there is an outreach by the larger community to connect with them, engage with them, do something for them, make their day. I think that's unique about this place and to my delight for sure that we are making everyone part of the fabric
0: you mentioned frolicking i don't know that i frolic much adam do you frolic much
2: not, not enough i think you know needs more frolicking
0: i need i definitely needs more frolicking i like i like when you said fun and frolic I'm like yeah <laughs> not just you know <laughs> good, you um, know experience. a social event but we're frolicking
2: <laughs> yeah i think that's it's it's an important thing and i think also this idea too in terms of you know how do we build uh uh I'm going to say, how do we build a culture, but the, the truth is the culture exists, whether we build it or not, right? So the question is, how do we be intentional about what it is that we're building when it comes to, to company culture? Um, and so these examples you're sharing here, I think are really interesting, especially because if we're thinking in, in a context where most employees are migrants, or so they're living in, in you know, again, away from their home country, or they're in also, you know, again, employee housing or something that, that's different also from then, um, if you live, you know, kind of in, in a residence and they, it feels more temporary, for example. And so even being more intentional about uh, making a positive experience in that, you know, because there can be obviously a big challenge of of leaving one's one's, even one's home, you know, town, you know, let alone country to then to to change work um, and and to pursue kind of betterment in that in that space. So I think that's a really interesting in question, too. So I'm curious, like, as as part of this idea in terms of uh, learning to listen to and and be part of, uh, you know, being part of the organization, like, how do you see, do you see kind of folks within organizations talking about building culture? Is that is that kind of a conscious um aspect that they're discussing when they say we're improving experience, but we're like talking about what is the overall culture of our, of our organization. Is that is that part of the conversation?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I will take my observation on LinkedIn, the posts. Mm-hmm. The last one year, I consciously see how organizations are making this effort. I take example of some AIQU or there are some technology hiring teams, how they are competing with each other in terms of they capture uh, what they do, the the Mm -hmm. easy walker, the urgent one. So on a Friday, I see these guys do some kind of an activity, probably consuming an hour. And it is including all the team members. And they're not hired Mm -hmm. anyone from outside. It is impromptu, done on the day, on their workspace, from their workspace. And they are showcasing to the world how they are just not only they just don't only mean business. They are also mm. a place where their employees love to be. And so this is a sign to the audience that when you choose us, you're not just choosing work alone. You're choosing a, uh, you can say, a very vibrant team, mm. cultural, strong team. These attributes give comfort, right? To the client that these are not just the run-of-the-mill routine agency or an organization. I might benefit in a larger way Because creativity, new ideas can't come by doing the same thing all the time and you expect something different as that quote is there, right? You do the same same thing. I see organizations are uh, now willing to put their thinking hats, creative hats and do things differently. uh, And that's giving them competitive edge. I think that's what is prompting more to follow suite and do their own version, do their own thing. So I think culture definitely gets built as you use the word, with when you do it intentionally, you're not probably yeah. you have, think of it, I heard about my friend who said a core group when he was here, he was telling how they have nationalities of all kinds, imagine that office nationalities yeah. of all uh, from all countries and then they are working together on one goal for a core, I was yeah. imagining it can be a quite a, uh, you know, a fascinating experience but they seems to be doing it quite Well,
2: and that's what we can see in the results of a car, yeah. That's great. Um, go ahead, Gary. I think you're gonna say something, then I can, yeah.
0: I was going to because I'm stealing the microphone. Well,
2: no, it's okay. (laughs) Uh, my it was
0: when I was doing my dissertation research in liquor stores that were owned by Arab immigrants in Detroit. The the premise of intercultural communication literature is that when you bring people from different cultures together cultures here being nationalities, the, the, the distance between those nationalities is going to cause problems. But one of the things I found was people will create their own shared cultures that they can co orient to and, and orient around. And I think that's what you're describing here is this notion of they're coming from all these different cultures, but there's this larger organizational project team whatever culture, whatever layer or level of culture we want to talk about that serves to be this inclusive opportunity that bridges between the national culture and creates the local culture around shared practice. I'm becoming very sociological here in this explanation, so I apologize, but it's just fascinating to me about how it goes against a lot of the intercultural training, which is cultures are different and we have to attend to each individually versus what you're describing, which is we're building one together that's inclusive of all of us. And that actually goes to the core of diversity, equity, and inclusion, of creating community from across different cultures and experiences. Yeah. No, I
1: think um, what I what what is also noticed a lot is about appreciation and admiration of each other's cultures here. If it is Ramadan, everyone is also trying to relate with it, be part of this experience. If it's an Indian festivals which are popular here because a lot of Indians are here, then there's an appreciation you see and Emirates and other nationalities going to try the Onam Sadhya, which is famous. So it is not about just being conscious and alert that I don't offend someone or I right. don't disagree. Rather, it is that curiosity of learning, experiencing it along with the other nationality people. I'll give an example in a lift I was going the other day when the Chinese New Year. I could see the lady was talking to another colleague and said she is going for the Chinese New Year event, I think dinner. And she was telling how, she's not a Chinese. And she's telling how she's going to carry some gifts and I think 10 dirham or 5 dirham notes. Because the children are gifted with the you know, money and the gifts. And she was quite excited about it. Coincidentally, the next day, I happened to see her in the lift again in the morning. So I, was, I, I, I recognized her and I asked, how was your dinner? She said, it was fabulous so this is an example of how someone who is not from that country is willing to learn uh, about uh, the other cultures their practices and go be part of that community for that evening for sure more frolicking yeah Nothing more frolicking so, absolutely
0: <laughs> intercultural frolicking
2: intercultural frolicking i like that i like that framework <laughs> <laughs> i writing so it down beautiful. right now
1: yeah it's so beautiful to even imagine and i'm sure uh, how wonderful it would be for those who are present
2: on the event. Because it, it makes me think too that, um, like there's the two sides that we're seeing. One is the building the interpersonal relationships, which is fundamental at the, you know, for people to work together. Um, but then the other point you said, Karen, which I think is really important is that when we foster that and we, and we invest in our employees, then we see a, a larger creative output. We see, we see better uh, productivity in, in this case too, like you know, in, in the same way that if we all read a different book and then came together and shared some of what we learned, like imagine that in terms of the creativity, we can get the different perspectives, right? We can get from folks that come from different walks of life um, when solving a common problem. And, and so I think in that in that point too, that uh, the the diversity of, uh, you know, employees and the employee experience, like when we are intentional about that in, in the workplace, I think it's such a powerful uh, moment. And, you know, I, I think that I'm reflecting on this in relationship to the chat GPT things that you shared earlier too. it's so this idea in terms of like, how do we, how can we be also intentional and smart uh, as business leaders about uh, making sure we continue to foster that we don't get super excited by the shiny new AI tool that um, to your point that a German publisher is talking about replacing human journalists with that, which is a terrifying idea. Um, yeah. You know, and and so, and especially in this, when we're thinking about the the rich diversity that we get from folks, because like they we have such cultural diversity, um, especially in in Dubai in terms of um, who's you know in organizations. So I don't know. So I, I'm curious like how you're thinking about that too, because I, I I do think that the like AI revolution is really exciting and and will indeed and is indeed and will even more so change business. Um, but how do we kind of keep our eye on the prize that like our best asset is still and will probably always be our people. Right. Absolutely.
1: Two things stood out while you were sharing. Um, Another this segment is the diversity. I think is being well utilized here because if you talk about design thinking
2: mm.
1: and people coming from different cultures, their way of thinking naturally is different. Yeah. So you have a rich uh, audience, or you can say participants, who can probably contribute the most to that problem or a product that you are trying to develop. Thereby leveraging this diversity uh, or differences to a maximum, to an advantage of the organization. Mm. Having said that, as you mentioned about the chat GPT and how we can continue to stay focused and not not digress or get carried away, I think the term would remain is, which is rich, I see also here is the empathy because mm. I see I was just looking at the three kinds of empathy a while ago uh, the, the, called, Qualtrics called it as a year of empathy and we learned the three kinds uh, of empathy so I see if you start with having empathy at the core I think the decisions you take are inclusive you may take mm. some tough decisions I'm not saying no but those decisions are well thought well discussed calibrated and then I think do it uh, at an apt time and not in a hurry. Often there's, mm-hmm. nowadays, there is a challenge, right? The fear yeah. of missing out. And everyone is on the same plane. And until someone comes and say, I will not be the next, I would think deeper and try to probably pause this fear. Right? An odd example, but I would share is about the layoffs. It was like a rapid fire, one after another, 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 right. another. Until someone says no, I think at least the Indian brand, I think, TCS said that we have no plans of uh, letting go of anyone. We are rather looking to invest and reinvest in some of the team members to take things forward. It's such a pleasant uh, news in the barrage of listening to uh, the news that came in. So I would say, I think, if every organization and every team takes um, uh, is having empathy at the core, Definitely, the decisions taken would be constructive, I would
0: say. It also makes me wonder, I know we talked about this when we first were chatting, you know, you being from India, living in Dubai, having spent a lot of time in another country called Texas, you know, (laughs) to what extent does customer experience look different in different contexts and to what extent is it, you know, are, we talk about human centered design and people being people, but at the same time, you know, Texas is not Massachusetts and it's not Dubai and it's not Hyderabad. So how might it look different and what kinds of considerations do we need to take to make more inclusive design so that we attend to the particular elements of these different contexts?
1: I think you hit it on the nail. This is a topic that was fascinating for the last few days where culture, I was wondering how vast this subject can be. And in my Catalyst X conversations also, I was considering to bring culture onto the table while I'm interacting with people from Africa, Dubai, and other countries. I think culture plays a, it's very deep. So it's not going to change in six months or one year. I'll not take the name of a city, but in India, there's one city where I work where it is, I'm talking about in India, one city within one country. The customer experience this is very basic. They're comfortable, and they will say, I'll show you these two items. You have to take it or you leave. It. In fact, they'll look at you. Have you decided? So, whereas you go to some another city in India, then you see the person is willing to show one, two, three, four. If you if they notice that you are planning to leave, they would say, Let wait, I let me get you another five options. So I see. There is so much difference, I'm talking only India, and uh, let's say Texas, then that's another place altogether, though I had great experiences there. Uh, And I recently found out in one TED video, I think, about Georgia. They call it, they have something called obsessive hospitality disorder is what I heard, where if you go, even if you are an outsider, you just came for no particular reason, they'll make you sit, offer you tea, coffee or something, and then they ask what brings you to our place. So look at the uh, variety of, uh, you can say, cultures from where we all come. That said, I think as long as this word empathy remains and respect, I think I say, to me, that's at the core of everything is there. The difference can be enjoyed like a rainbow and not be seen as a right or a wrong or or be in a place of judging because... No, the world doesn't need judges. We just experience the variety and uh, carry the learnings along. Just like Isaiah shared, how it happens in Dubai. The focus is on experiencing and never on judging.
0: Well, unless it's Judge Judy. I don't know if you're familiar with Judge Judy, Kiran. She's a great American hero. Um, And uh, she's (laughs) one of the television judges. And we need more Judge Judys. But other than that, I think I, I see what you mean in terms of when we judge we tend to do it from a position of ethnocentricity and not from otherness you know from taking the position of the other again I apologize for being a sociologist for a moment but this notion of like who's from whose perspective am I examining this event or experience and how might I then switch perspectives in order to see it from different angles and perspective switching and perspective taking is something that as we become you know, more homogenized, it becomes more difficult to do. Whereas in your context of Dubai, if I'm exposed to all these different perspectives regularly, it might become ideally easier to take these different perspectives.
1: At this juncture, I must share, though I'm not sure. I'll try to keep it very constructive. He is on LinkedIn recently. I saw a good friend of mine from, I think, some other European country or probably the US, not recalling. She shared about a author. Who migrated from her country to US, and she wrote a book. I think the title of the book itself was kind of pointing to the warmth or the hospitality or the how you converse in US for her being very plasticky. I put it that way, mm-hmm. on not authentic. Probably that's her. And she chose a word which was quite judgmental. Then I saw this post, and quickly what triggered to me was, why do we need to judge? These two countries are different. One migrated from one place to another place. If I focus on how I can, what I can learn from them, probably I would gain more than passing on a judgment. And then, because that country is very different, right? I just spoke about Georgia. That's a very different place. And my friend also was sharing how we grow by learning from each other rather than pointing at each other. So it was fascinating as to uh, how progress is only possible by learning accommodating uh, what we experience and uh, growing and never never i think
2: never by uh, taking the seat of a judge that's mm-hmm. it's, it's, i think it's a, it's i mean an interesting uh, point and i agree in in because often we hear discussions in in organizations in terms of it's like some of the most challenging things to overcome are inter office politics right. Or kind of talking behind the scenes at somebody. Um, and, and so I guess one thing I wrestle with there is how we can help foster, you know, cultures of more openness and, and and empathy to your point. Um, given that like, I mean, there will be some level of of inter-office politics because there always are, but I I guess I, I wonder how much that's related to hierarchy in terms of who has the power to make decisions and who doesn't. Um, and and the agency that people feel they have to to speak out or to do the kind of work they find meaningful, um, compared to the grunt work that we all have to do at some point. So, um, I'm I'm curious your thoughts on, on this too. In terms of you know, have there been some strategies or, or examples from businesses you've seen where they've they've been particularly good at implementing this this idea of empathy or or acknowledging that the hierarchy exists, right? That some people feel like they can't speak out others um, feel like they can, and then that can that can lead to some challenges. But, so I'm curious if you've seen some examples of like how that's worked well, or, or actually where worked poorly, right? Then how do we overcome that?
1: No, I think I'll, I'll pick an example, but probably I'll start with, I think if an organization is committed to a culture of openness, as you also pointed, then everyone has a choice, as an opportunity to express. And another aspect that I would leave for, as a food for thought is authenticity. Because often mm. I, while training, I speak about the 638. That's kind of a mnemonics. 6% of the communication is your words. 38% is your tone. The rest, all 55% is your body language. And often we don't mm. realize that when I'm not authentic, the body language gives it away. The other person mm. gets it. It's a human skill. They can make out what this person is speaking is not authentic. And that said, I'll share an example of day before yesterday when I was trying to do a 30 minutes soft skills uh, training for a group of around 25 on Zoom. How one person said, I used a word, I think um, candor or something. And this gentleman was very, was open to express, I don't know. I said, how many of you heard, uh, did not uh, aware of this concept? He was quick on the Zoom. I can see his nodding that I'm not aware of it. Then I complimented saying that that sin, that uh, vulnerability that he practiced in a group, and that everyone gets to know that he does not know that concept. And in appreciating that, I think I reinforced, at least though I'm an outsider for that conversation, that in that team, being vulnerable and being open is acceptable. Mm. And in organizations also, while you pointed about the hierarchy, it's a top down if the top believes and wants to practice, because it's not just about commitment, it's also called involvement. We often talk in Six Sigma also. I'm 100% committed. Doesn't work. I'm 100% involved or even 80% involved will work. So if Mm -hmm. they practice it, show it uh, in front of the larger audience. That's why I say, when a CEO shows he or she is vulnerable, everyone Mm -hmm. else will adopt and practice it. So I see it as more like a Uh, With intent and authenticity, when uh, practiced, the results can be phenomenal for that organization.
0: You mentioned body language. I'll relate a story that I was talking, I was doing research in this information systems company. And one of the uh, executives, maybe middle management, I can't remember, he said to me that uh, Indians are confused. And I said, all right, why are Indians confused? And he said, well, they'll, they'll tell you yes. Why they shake their head no. <laughs> and I went, um, all right. So, you know, it's one of those ethnographic moments where I'm like, do I want to correct them or do I want to hear more of the story? And I said, <laughs> Yeah. I said, I said, they're not shaking their head no. That's actually, you know, saying I understand essentially. You know, I said, and it's not shaking their head, it's kind of moving ahead. And he's like, Oh, really? I'm like, yeah. And so it does go back to if we interpret, you know, you say judge, I might say interpret from what we think is quote unquote normal or expected and are not open to understanding the ways in which others do things, right. Then you're going to miss it. And it was, I I attended their training on how to do business with India and it was horrible, you know, because it was talking about, you know, the caste system and here we go. This guy doesn't understand that. It's not, they're not shaking their head. No, they're it's a, it's a different kind of you know, gesture. True, true. And th- and this guy was like again he's a manager in the United States I was like oh boy if you think that they're confused because they say yes while shaking their head no I'm like we're in trouble
1: <laughs> <laughs> No I think you picked up something which I faced when I landed in US I in the classroom I used to do the same thing and then the professor used to say are you saying yes or a no So it's <laughs> very much with the DNA. so I I personally experienced it so I can watch that I this nodding is Yes or no, sometimes it's very confusing for the people from the other countries. So I had to do a lot of practice. Probably I still do that mistake if I have to accept with all vulnerability. That said, I think you pointed out also a very nice line, which is the difference between interpreting to judging. I think when I stay in the interpreting, I'm trying to understand. That's progress. When I'm judging, I'm definitely not progressing probably. Well, it's it's, it's
0: it's progress if we're interpreting not from our own perspective, right? I mean, this is where we, you know, cognitive bias and those other yeah. things come in versus what we would say in sociology, recognizing. So if I recognize your head movement in conjunction with you saying you understand, I'm seeing how that movement is a connected to what you're saying versus I'm just interpreting you from the basis of what I think should be happening. And so- yeah. There's, I guess we could talk about more judgmental interpretation versus more, you know, open-minded interpretation. If you wanted to think about different levels of interpretation.
1: No, I think when you said, if a person tries to recognize or the positive side of the interpretation, I'm talking about an opportunity for them to learn. Right. A new skill. The new skill is ability to understand how Indians say yes or no. I'm just saying as an example, but what all can be possible when you're open to learn we spoke only India. Now we have so many other countries from where people come to each other's countries. And last but not the least, I also it reminded me of the line: "We see what we want to see, right? If we choose mm-hmm. to see a learning opportunity, we will see a learning opportunity. If we want to, see, if we choose to see an opportunity to comment, judge, uh, giggle, or laugh, that's also an opportunity. I think it's a choice one makes." I'll share an example of mine in my early years of my career. I was attending a class on Six sigma and he's a black belt, very accomplished trainer. In the middle of the course to give an example, he used the word pija. It just struck me like that sound a little hilarious to me. I'm a fellow Indian. But over the years I realized when I reflect upon it, he was only what I was there for for learning. When my focus is on learning, his pronunciation difference from a pizza to a pizza wouldn't make any difference to me. And it also reminded me of that line often they say, if you don't know English, it just means that you know some other language well. One does not have to feel ashamed that my English is not good. I am not suitable to go into a crowd where people, majority speak in English. So this uh, these reflections did a lot of good for
0: me. I think it actually makes me think it'd be great to have uh, an employee led intercultural training on body language across cultures, and then have people from different cultures do the other country's body language. So I think you know that would be a great you know like those kinds of things, right? That how we engage each other on an everyday basis to establish a more open environment. You know, you having to come to United States and learn my body language is not equitable. Me trying to also adopt your body language is more equitable and demonstrates more openness. And so I think that as organizations, I've seen this happen where we expect the people in other locations to adopt to our time zone, to our body language, to our sayings, you know, you saying lift versus elevator, right? Mm -hmm. Um, or boot versus trunk, or you know, parking lot versus car park, or whatever, right?
1: Mm. Often oh, they say curd versus yogurt in India. We call it curd, but <laughs> we like okay yogurt. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it just.
0: <laughs> and I don't know what they say in, in in Texas. I still haven't figured that out. I don't know what goes on down there. It's a whole Nobody other knows. space. Nobody, Nobody knows.
1: knows. But, but it creates more one,
0: inclusivity.
1: Yeah, but one, I will. Sh- I, with all prou- pride, I will say Americans do Fantastic is. When they meet Indians, I noticed in my, this I'm talking about 2001 to 2004. When they see an event or they come to know they're Indian, the way you greet this, they definitely make it a point to use the word Namaste and also the gesture, which is fascinating. I was amazed to see how many Americans have picked that, uh, the Indian way of uh, greeting, and they practice it as often opportunity permits.
0: It might, it might be from the yoga class at the uh, health club wearing lululemon <laughs> pants but we'll take it <laughs> it's a win
2: but it's funny too cuz i mean yeah i I've, I've noticed that also and i think that i mean one reflection i had about that is that the idea behind namaste the light in me recognize the light in you is a much nicer idea than hi <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's me. like the 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 us english like greeting is is secular and kind of boring in comparison right and so it's it's almost like this interesting idea in terms of like like understanding another kind of uh cultural way of greeting that is to me more alive i think it's really interesting also right so it's like um it's this fun back and forth i think because the the other side of this too of course is that you know there's there's a lot of conversation in the in the us from these also kind of communities that are saying is this cultural appropriation can i can i say namaste to you <laughs> Um, is it okay? And I think to your point, you said before about authenticity is actually part of that, right? Like, are you are you offering kind of an authentic form of greeting? Um, and also, I'm I'm curious about that. Your thoughts there too, because I I'm I'm you know, I'll say that I'm I'm okay if people say Namaste, you know, from different cultural groups, especially if you understand what it is that you're saying, right? You know, if you're just trying to say uh, Namaste as hello, that can be fine. But do you find that 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 level of authenticity is also part of that that conversation when you see folks using the Namaste greeting?
1: I think definitely the first step or you can say the win there for mankind is the willingness to adopt, accept the other's practices and wanting to make their day right. When you, mm. Though even if they did not know the meaning of namaste, the gesture that they chose to greet them that way is shows, uh, you can say, care, uh, you can say, uh, accommodation of the other culture. That's the beginning to me. After mm-hmm. that, at one point, you'll realize what's the meaning of Namaste. Let me very honestly accept myself. I didn't know about the real meaning of Namaste probably until I was 16 or 18 or near 20. When I got to know from some channel that it is actually means you know, recognizing the spirit you, know, in you with equanimity. That said, so I think there is no two ways. That's a great step forward. Understanding about it I think will definitely follow when you uh, start doing it very often. In some conversation, it will happen. That said, I will share another interesting thing that we learned probably from US. I learned it. if you're opening a door, often uh, I when I landed in US, it's more about if someone opens the door, all will go, but no one will, will not <laughs> wait for this guy to go. Whereas in US, because I noticed that how when you open, you keep it open for the others to go, so that whereas we look at it like an opportunity to quickly run through, whereas there it was more about, I keep it open. I think these are things where, and these are positive stuff. These are constructive, you can say, learnings from each other's culture, which Mm -hmm. can take, I think, mankind uh, towards a better future. When you were working
0: in the hospitality industry and all the work you've done in hotels and and those environments, given the, the intercultural nature of the places in which you've worked, how much training goes into, let's say, the like the the front desk staff or the, um, you know, the cleaning crews or whatnot into how do we engage across different nationalities, different cultures, different religions, different groups, so that there's an attempt to attend to the preferences that these customers have. Uh,
1: interesting question. In fact, I think eleven years with hotels, uh, mostly uh, if they are. Hired as a at their start of their career, the training can be a little intensive. Their opportunity to uh, alone interact with a guest will be kept delayed. Whereas if they have come from another hotel bag <laughs> working in the another hotel and they joined here, they they are already come along with their awareness of other cultures. But there is caution always. So that I'll give an example: if it's an Indian who's staying in the hotel. And they have brought some gods and then put it on the table. By evening, you'll see they have put a nice mat, which is nicely tailored by the tailor in the hotel with yeah. some flowers and so on. So they learn what are the other nationalities' preferences if they are from Israel, Palestine or from any country. And if it is from a Muslim country, they try to keep the mat ready so that the prayer time, it, the mat is available and during Ramadan time, then... They, they, being aware that they break the fast, they make sure what they need are arranged or proactively asked, and/or sometimes given as a surprise. Right. So, this kind of an effort uh, always happens in this brand where I work, ITC Hotels. Even other brands, if they are in a five-star standard, they definitely make an effort to wow-we call it used to call it the function where I worked as wow expert-to Right. To walk the guests with these kind of gestures. And it's an ongoing learning. Uh, they, once they pick up, you can be assured that the next time it will repeat for that guest and guests of the same nationality, because they learned that this is appreciated by that guest. So housekeeping team always is on the uh, front trying to create these wow moments for the guest.
0: And the housekeeping is a great example because they might be among the lowest paid in a in a hotel and not, especially speaking in the United States even, and not thought of as being skilled labor, but they are the primary point of contact between the brand and the customer.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah. Go ahead. I think they're mostly I have seen they're very kind and empathetic. And I was remembering a recent uh, uh, example cited by someone in a video, I'm not remembering who who was the source. Your process says, a job of a housekeeper is A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. There's no there is no humanness in it. It just blunt straight, these are the 10 tasks they need to do. But are all housemen doing it that way? No. There is a very unique layer they bring along, which is empathy, care, kindness, compassion, and they do it without being asked to do it. And without exception, in all the hotels where I work, I see they make time. So their time taken to make a room is measured. They are supposed to do that 20, 25 rooms every day, but they still make time to make that difference for that guest. And I think that's uh, unique about human race. Hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting idea too. And this is, I'm reflecting on my, my sister is a, a a physician's assistant or medical professional. and And she finds too that like one of the big challenges when it comes to um, having a quota, right? whether it's room setting or working with patients, right? right? There's often the the business imperative to do quickly and to hit your numbers, but then there's always what actually matters is the interaction you have with the customer or the patient at the at the time of of interaction, right? and make sure they feel heard um or get the extra moment of, of delight and and I think that that's so true that if there can be ways to, Uh, I'm going back and forth on this thought to measure that we're also offering these, these forms of delight and interaction that like, don't get measured the same way. Did you, did you set the room up properly? Did you check the patient's chart correctly? That's what's measured. But then really what matters is the person's experience, right. In, in that interaction. Uh, And so that's, that's one of the, 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 I guess future points I'm, I'm curious about and hopeful that as we're, including new kinds of technology right and that will like make our business and work go faster that empathy needs to work at its own speed interaction between people has to work at its own speed Um, and and we can't measure that away you know and and so making sure that that stays a part of the 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 experience itself um, and comes to be counted i think is incredibly important you know so i don't know if you have some thoughts about that idea too and how we can help make sure that we get to keep that that part
1: I'll I'll start with a clear example. I was admitted in a hospital because Saudi German hospital here recently when I had a strange uh, pain in the abdomen and uh, they just had to put me in the room for some time because I think the insurance approvals haven't come. I could see there is a board on the wall which talks about a, an award. I think it's an international award which recognizes exceptional service experiences offered by nurses. Mm. And it tells that how you can write to them or vote for that uh, individual who served you. And today, or yesterday in the newspaper, also, I saw, I think, Astor Group is also having a similar kind of a contest, or you can say this about, I'm talking about, probably celebrating empathy. Mm. And 22,000, I think, applications they're talking about, and the winner will be announced soon. Wow. I can bet on one thing none of these 22,000 would have done it for that award. They did it because it means a lot to them to be make a difference on a daily basis. And they go home rich every day because they just they they did few things much beyond what their job description requires them to do. So I feel as organizations, they should continue to celebrate empathy so that irrespective of how much of our hunt for excellence, speed, efficiency, apart, empathy should be allowed to be practiced prosper, and also consciously it should be celebrated so that more get inspired to embrace empathy, I'll put it that way.
2: Mm. Yeah, leading by example, it makes a huge difference, right? It's that, do we, do we see it across the organization? Um,
1: yeah, I and, think and, we, are, yeah. we are in a safe space. We just need to make sure <laughs> with uh, uh, the with arrival of chat GPTs of the world and the speed increasing, we should not lose focus on the importance of we all be humans and we all Mm -hmm. be pathetic for the surroundings. I'm not talking only about humans. It's also the animals because I I am a prominent cat feeder. I can Mm -hmm. sense how amazing that animal is. Mm -hmm. When it rubs itself against your feet, it rolls around. There is a lot it is talking. Mm
2: -hmm. Just that
1: we have time for her or him. And I feel that's probably, I feel that the universe has put us in this place for something much better than only processes jobs and uh, building bank balance
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> amen to that yes um also as a as a uh cat cat owner cat feeder of times too i agree that like there's there's much we can learn also from again from nature and from non-human animals yeah. um about time right in that in that time is if we think about it, is our most precious resource right and do we take it for for moments of enjoying it with with others? Um, While we may be running out
1: of time, I'll still share that example. Sorry for interrupting. Remember watched one video where a child was on in a in a balcony. He was trying to climb the balcony, and this cat is there on the side. And this fellow consciously goes and hits the kid's hand not to put there. Not once, not twice, five times, making sure that the kid is not going trying to climb that balcony wall so look at it how uh how god has created that animal to safeguard the kids uh, ensure the kids safety and how it knows that what it needs to do i think same goes with dogs and our pets i think almost each animal has a lot to offer
2: yeah agreed agreed
0: and so it's a world. <laughs> kind, kind yes. of looking forward as we as we come to the end here you know, what's the danger, in your opinion, of CX becoming subsumed in these kinds of larger analytics, which loses the human element, right? We, you know, Adam and I, both ethnographers, you know, we tend towards the qualitative data, although we both use quantitative as well. But there is this thing I worry about that we're measuring things because they're easy to measure, not because of the most important things.
1: (laughs) So true. Uh, we find it easy to publish dashboards with measurables. But I think that said, at one point, I'll give an example, but I, I feel we will uh, become again aware and we will probably course correct our path. I'll take example of recently, there was a talk around the medD in US where there's no human being. You can go, you can order, you can pick right. up, and you can walk away, whether it's drive through or a physical. I feel that in the long run, it will only form a certain component. People will crave to go see a human being be served mm-hmm. by one, even if it means they may make an occasional mistake. So it is not about making it so rigid. I think somewhere I we were talking in the Qualtrics event where the teachers are told so many things, how to do an activity in a structured way as for the process. right? The naturality and let's say uh, authenticity and the teacher's way of adding value is out of the window. Right. So I feel that gradually we are already learned on that path to learn that it cannot be only about metrics. We are humans. We would love to uh, deal with our surroundings in a humane manner and love to have the human touch and not just seek excellence uh, in metrics. And I think customers will do that good of patronizing uh, brands which go beyond metrics. I would
0: probably put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. <clears throat> well, Karen, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been a great conversation. We appreciate you taking the time uh, in the evening in Dubai. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, six o'clock. Any big plans? Show, right? Any
0: frolicking tonight? Any frolicking yeah. planned? Um, it's the weekend. It is
1: still Thursday. So a friend has just called in, Like yesterday, he called while he was walking by this building. We just went, sat for a cup of tea. But when I reflect upon it, it's so fascinating that though my day has not ended, I had the liberty or you can say empowerment to step down because a friend was passing by and we could have a nice cup of tea on a pleasant evening. So this also uh, reminds me of how important and uh, how beautiful it can be to allow our team members to take some decisions. Again, not fixing them. You need to take a permission to step out for 15 minutes and you need to make up that time after you come back. So I heard that in Mumbai, that's one of the maximum city of India. They used to have that kind of thing. End of the evening, they'll go down, have a drink or two. They just don't, they don't lock the office. They put the bolt, and then they come back, then they lock and go. And I heard that in many other countries in Japan and some places also, this is a practice where in the evening, they take their guests to a place, a bar, where I think they already have a bottle with a sticker of their name. Oh, wow. That gets served on that evening and they can come back tomorrow. So I feel it is definitely important that we need to make, uh, give time, make time for human existence and not get caught up only in uh, uh, the run for excellence, let's say money or study excellence also. We're talking about children.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for that.
1: Thank you. It was a wonderful conversation indeed. I think uh, uh, I thought something, but we went in all the direction. It was very comfortable, and uh, uh, I could speak my mind and pick up on the aspects which are very close to my heart, whether it is empathy, uh, kindness, compassion. So it is. It is indeed a, a beautiful conversation. I would say the. I think the power of unstructured. Conversation is here
2: to see. We want to thank Kieran Vary once again for taking us through his own international and multicultural journey in customer experience. You can learn more about Kieran's work and his great content creation and his consultancy in our show notes. And as always, we want to get in conversation with you. So we've got a couple questions to you know, give us some, some brain thinking for this, this week here. And so how do you manage international audiences in your experience design? Do you have to work with multicultural communities or groups uh, as, as your, as part of your design practice, or in what ways do you allow people to use their talents in their design work? So how can you draw on people's innate skills, things that they have that might be uh, a element that comes from their culture uh, to help shape their design work? And then finally, and I think perhaps most importantly, what is your favorite way to interculturally frolic? And please let us know as always, shoot us a message over at feedback at experience X design or get in conversation with us on our LinkedIn page.
0: Ah, brain thinking. I always like brain thinking. It's so much better than thinking with other parts of our body. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. I mean, you gotta be careful with that stuff. So as always, we want to thank you so much for continuing to listen to experience by design. If you're a long time listener or welcome on in, if you're a first time listener, as we like to say, the EXD movement and the experience design movement as a whole continues to move forward and we're happy to do that with you along for the ride. We love bringing you the content. We love talking to our guests and we hope you love listening as well. As always, if you're an experienced design company or professional looking to increase your profile and reach out to those in our audience, shoot us a message at feedback at experiencexdesign.com and let's get into a conversation. And as always, you can buy us a coffee at our coffee link at experiencexdesign.com to help us defray the cost of the podcast and stickers. We have stickers. So if you buy us a coffee, you might just get a sticker. Mm -hmm. And if you have any ideas for future shows or comment about how much you like this show and thinking with your brain or other parts of your body, make sure to shoot us a message at feedback at experiencexdesign.com. Finally, with that, we hope you are healthy, healthier than I am at the moment. Hope you are well and hope to have you here on the next Experience by Design.